today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. As we've talked about with so many different aspects of the pandemic, even when we get this under control, and that day will come uh, through vaccinations and everything else, uh, we don't just snap our fingers and go back to normal. It's not going to happen that way, not economy-wise, not public health-wise, and certainly not as far as the job market is concerned. So uh, to fix it and to, I guess, to forge a path forward, first of all, we have to understand where we are and how we got here. Uh, and to that end, we're so pleased to welcome to the program uh, Benjamin Tal, who's the Deputy Chief Economist with uh, CIBC. Uh, Benjamin, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could be with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. I read your piece in uh, the CIBC uh, magazine uh, from last month called In Focus, uh, called the Canadian Labour Market Dichotomy, Deeper Than Perceived. Uh, you make a very valid point that I think we need to keep in mind here. As with so many other facets of, of the impact of the pandemic, uh, a lot of the things that we're dealing with right now were not caused by the pandemic, but they were certainly exacerbated by it. It shone the light on some existing problems. Absolutely. You know, every crisis is a trend accelerator, and this crisis is not very different. All those trends that we are seeing now were there before. They are simply being accelerated. One of them, of course, is the income gap. There was an income gap in Canada before the crisis. It's uh, nothing new, unfortunately. And now, uh, if you look at the overall situation in the labor market, all the jobs lost uh, during this crisis were lost among uh, low-paid uh, employment. And in fact, uh, higher-paying jobs have seen their number rising by about 300,000. So the income gap that was wide already is now even wider, unfortunately. Well, and these numbers, I know the discussion that we had pre-pandemic was, you know, about the, uh, uh, the you know, the, the whittling away of the middle class. And, and that seems to underscore exactly what's going on. Uh, them that have it are doing pretty well. Uh, those that were struggling are struggling more than they ever have. Absolutely. That's uh, really the unique nature of this crisis, uh, because this is the most uh, abnormal, asymmetrical uh, recession ever in uh, Canadian history. We see a situation in which income in the economy as a whole is rising. Uh, Part of it is because of government money, and the rest of it is due to the fact that uh, high-paying jobs actually are being created, and you see more money uh, being injected into the system. So that's the bad news now. The good news is that uh, you see a significant amount of savings in the system, especially held by high-income Canadians. Now, they are not using the money. It's uh, sitting in their checking and savings account. Uh, So the amount of money that is sitting on the sidelines now is about uh, close to $100 billion. This is passive money sitting waiting for an opportunity. Now, uh, the minute you have the green light, uh, this money will be spent, or at least a portion of it. There is so much pent-up demand. People are dying to go to restaurants. They're simply not willing to die doing so. So they will be waiting. And the good news is that when they release this money, it will be going to the service sector exactly where we need the jobs. And that's actually going to contribute to a rapid economic recovery, I hope, in the second half of the year. Well, let's talk about the ramifications of that. And I, I, I think you're right, Benjamin. I mean, we all saw how that service sector and how low-income jobs were adversely affected by the first wave, uh, the second wave, and, and God forbid the third wave comes along, as they're talking about right now. I hate to think how, how that's going to impact what's going on here. But your point's well taken. Uh, the people, when that starts to happen and we see a revival uh, and more support for the service industry, uh, those are the people that are going to earn money, and they're going to spend it back into the economy. They're not going to stick it off in an offshore account someplace or, you know, put it away in some of the, they, they need that money, and they're going to be putting it right back into it, in local businesses for the most part. Yes, that's the hope. I hope that uh, 
you know, people will be spending that money because it's there, it's available, it's simply being accumulated. The finance minister asked uh, what we should do in order to encourage those people to spend the money. And I said, just provide the vaccine and get out of the way. They are not, uh, they don't need any motivation. They are motivated enough. There is so much pent up demand in the system. So in this sense, it's very different than any other recession, because in any other recession, you see jobs going down everywhere. This one is very focused, very concentrated, very abnormal. And the hope is that the cash that is now, now is being accumulated will be released into the economy in a very rapid way that will help to revive jobs in the service sector. Your, your advice to Minister Freeler may be the most cogent piece of uh, advice that she's received in the last six months. Uh, you know, th- as you mentioned, there's this pent-up desire for this. Uh, nobody's going to have to tell us to go back to restaurants or or to, to go to ball games or to start spending money or go. go uh, we're dying to do that right now. So, I mean, you're right. Get us healthy. Let us get back to do what we do best, which is spend our money. Exactly, and that's why when it comes to analyzing this crisis, uh, we have to ask a very simple question. To what extent COVID-19 is an event or a condition? Yeah? Mm. And I would, like to believe, I would like to believe that COVID-19 is an event because we haven't lost any production capacity. We, we haven't lost demand in the economy. We have the capacity to spend. We just need the green light. In 1999, in uh, 1981, in 2000, in 2008, we have lost production capacity in the economy. People were concerned about the future, so they were not spending. This is not the case now. So let's hope that this is really an event, economically speaking. Clearly, from a health perspective, this is a condition because I believe that we will have to live with this virus and we'll have to vaccinate ourselves every year. It will be a new part in our life. So it is a condition in this sense. But economically speaking, let's hope that this is just an event. Well, I, I hope you're right about that. And, and maybe one of the reasons why we maybe don't get that connection is too many people, I think, now, and a lot of the folks I've talked to in this program over the last 12 months, uh, seem to draw the parallel between this pandemic and the economic impact it's having with the 2008-2009 recession. And, and look at how long it took us to get out of that recession. Uh, it's really an apples and oranges comparison, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. I don't think that we can compare the two recessions. Uh, and we see it in the numbers already. As I suggested, we see a significant increase in job creation among uh, high-paying jobs. This, is, this was not the case in 2008. In 2008, the financial system was not functioning. Now it is functioning. In 2008, the consumer confidence was dramatically down. Now it's actually up. It's just waiting for the green light. So the capacity is there. This was not the case in 2008. So I will not compare the two. The minute we have a vaccine, you will see a very rapid acceleration in economic activity, something that we haven't seen in 2008, given the nature of the crisis. Well, to your point, uh, we don't have the vaccine to the extent that we'd like to have it now, but it is there. And, and I guess if you look at some of the numbers over the last uh, six weeks especially, uh, that's already having a positive impact, isn't it, on, on recovery? Absolutely, because if you compare the current situation, the second wave, to the first wave, uh, we are in a much better way, you know, uh, position to deal with this uh, crisis, economically speaking. Listen, I can find uh, the mute button in Zoom. That makes me 20% more productive than in March <laughs> or April of last year. Uh, we are much more uh, willing to take risk. You know, in March, April, nobody was willing to take any risk. No CEOs was investing. Today, they are doing so. Why? 
because they see the light. Yes, we can debate how long this vaccine will take, but eventually it, it will be there, as you suggested. And therefore, we see the light, we are closer to this light, so companies are willing to take risk and invest when the target is still soft. So it's a very different environment. Explain to us, if you could, because I think that you, you mentioned a stat a couple of minutes ago that might have surprised a lot of people, uh, the fact that there's actually growth in high-income jobs right now. Where are those jobs, and why are those companies investing in, in, the, in those people and in those positions? Yes, that's a very good question. Quite frankly, uh, I was not surprised uh, to see that uh, all the jobs lost were in low-paying jobs. We, we knew that. Uh, unfortunately, that's the nature of the crisis. I was surprised to see that the number of jobs in high-paying uh, uh, occupations went up by 300,000 uh, positions. And the question is why. And again, we have to remember that two-thirds of the economy now is in a full-swing V-shaped recovery. Two-thirds. So it's one-third that is still stuck in this L-shaped recovery. And if those industries and companies were unable to recover during the happy days of uh, summer, surely they cannot recover during the dark days of winter. And that's more or less where we are. So it's a tale of two economies. So the damage, and that's very important to understand, the damage is very deep, but also very narrow. And there are many companies that actually benefit from the crisis, unfortunately, as you know, because of the nature of their business. If you are in e-commerce, if you are in iTech, you're doing fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so many other things, and we've seen some resulting industries in that, and that uh, that have actually, as you say, they've grown uh, through this whole thing, which uh, is, is surprising to an awful lot of us. How are we going to look coming out of this, though? I mean, if that that one third that you've talked about, uh, which is in a very precarious situation right now, uh, will will it look the same? Is 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 it going to change? So many other different things that, that uh, we, we have had to pivot about with with the economy. Uh, you know, as you say, online shopping and a whole lot of other things like that are probably going to be with us long past the time of the pandemic right now. But what about that 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 service sector? How is that going to look coming out? Yes, uh, the question is the future of uh, gig the gig economy. Where is it going? That's the question, really. And uh, to what extent uh, this crisis uh, will lead to a situation in which uh, we are going to establish a new social assistance program? We have to realize that without even noticing, we are putting together now the plumbing, the infrastructure for tomorrow's social assistance program. We're talking about a universal uh, daycare system. We're talking about some elements of uh, basic income. We are talking about making the modified EI system more permanent. So this is something that the government now is toying with, admitting that the system before was uh, really subpar. And we have to change it. Now, that's going to cost money. And that's why, quite, quite frankly, I see a more permanent increase in spending, government spending, due to this crisis, which probably lead to some increase in taxation down the road. Well, that means we have a part to play in this, too, because it's, it's we, the people, uh, that put our pressure on, on our, our politicians, isn't it, Benjamin, to say, keep my taxes down, keep my taxes down. We don't need that program. We don't need daycare. We don't need this. Uh, with what we've gone through in the last 12 months, uh, has that opened our eyes to the realization that, yeah, we do, and, and there's going to be a price to pay for that? I think that, uh, yes, I think that you will see a higher level of acceptance uh, given the fact that uh, this uh, crisis exposed the vulnerability of our system. 
So I think, yes, I think there will be more openness. But at the same time, there will be also much more uh, focus on government spending to make sure that this spending is focused, this spending is productive, and we're not wasting any money. That's very important. Yeah, we'd all like to think that there are visionary politicians that are making these decisions, but we also know that politicians at every level uh, react to, to public pressure. And, and if we tell them this is what we want, uh, they they will listen. I mean, they have to I mean, for their, their political futures. And I, I'm sensing what you're saying. I think, I think you've nailed this, that there seems to be a conversation now about things like a guaranteed income and, and, and daycare programs. Uh, eight, ten years ago, that just wasn't happening. I mean, it was in some circles, but, but usually elected officials would shy away from that absolutely i think that uh, this uh, crisis really exposed the two economies that we have been living with for so many years we are not going to close the uh, the income gap we are not going to eliminate it this is part of you know society as we know it however i think that uh, the vulnerability of the system has been exposed in such a clear way during this crisis so i think that it's a it's a shock so as i said this is an event, economically speaking, but it's a condition otherwise, health-wise, and also, hopefully, from a different way, maybe uh, policy-wise. There may be more pandemics, they tell us. Uh, if, if we follow the steps that you've talked about here, is that going to better prepare us for something like this again so that the fall won't be so great? Absolutely. I think that we know it's, uh, it's going to repeat itself. We know that we will be tested again, and clearly we were unprepared. We all know that when it comes to the health system, when it comes to the job market. So I believe that this uh, crisis will lead, to, will lead to some positive outcome if we do the right thing. The other element to this, too, is, is we in North America here are maybe learning a lesson that a number of other parts of the world learned a long time ago, and they built those safeguards in that you've talked about. Uh, the U.K., I mean, for all the, the discussion about what's gone over there, uh, understand about a basic income and about social assistance programs, and, and even uh, the, the conservative prime ministers, the David Camerons and others, wouldn't dare touch that. Uh, the Scandinavian countries understand that, too. Yes, you pay a little bit more in tax, but you've got that buffer, you've got that safety net, and uh, we we, we kind of got away from that. Maybe this is going to be the, uh, the awakening for us. Well, that's a, that's a good point. I don't know. I hope that it will lead to at least a rethinking of our uh, structure, our social assistance program. And I believe that that will lead to some sort of a positive uh, response. That's one thing. The other is our investment in health. Clearly, we were caught unprepared, and we have to really make sure that uh, we are uh, self-reliant when it comes to uh, our ability to, uh, you know, provide vaccines to our population. Well, I can tell you right now, maybe the most important aspect of this, too, is that uh, 10 years ago, any discussion about these sorts of programs that you're talking about right now uh, was done by social advocates. Uh, when, when economists such as yourselves and political leaders are leading that discussion, that tells you that maybe there has been a, a huge change in, in attitude towards these things. Yes, I think that that will be the lasting legacy of this crisis. Benjamin, uh, great insight into this. Thank you so much for spending some time with us uh, today. It's very, very, very much appreciated. A pleasure. Thank you very much. Benjamin uh, Tao, who is the Deputy Chief Economist with CIBC. Uh, it's a good read. It's last month's edition of uh, In Focus, the CIBC uh, newsletter. Uh, gives you some perspective on what's going on there. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.